0: today's podcast is brought to you by gearSource and the new G3 marketplace the best place for used gear is about to get so much better beginning this summer sellers will gain more power over your listings advanced AI to help you make pricing and timing based decisions an automation supported shipping system, lower seller costs, advanced marketing tools, a new cross rental platform and near instant payment availability. But how about your own branded G site where you can promote your company branding, all of your listings, all in one central location, but still with all the same tools as the main site? The G3 platform will offer global marketplace capabilities rivaling companies hundreds of times the size in a true dual-sided marketplace. For more information, visit Gearsource today and ask about the new G3 platform for all of your listings.
1: Thank
0: Well, hey, hello there, and thanks for joining me today on Geysers of Gear, episode number 104. And so last week, we had Joel Nichols from Apollo and from Blue Pony and from all of these different companies he owns, And uh, just a great guy. I really like Joel. I've been wanting to get him on for a while. So it was really great to have him on. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen. Really cool advice from a great entrepreneur who's done some amazing things and continues to grow his businesses, even, you know, during this pandemic and stuff. So really good guy. Great podcast to listen to. Check it out. Episode 103. And, um, next up for us after today, which, uh, I will talk to you about who we've got today here in a moment, but next up will be tomorrow, which is Wednesday. I believe we will have it uploaded shortly after on Wednesday night, but we will have episode 105, which will be, uh, another happy hour. I think it's number seven or eight. I can't even keep track anymore, but, these happy hours are becoming somewhat legendary and, uh, have been a lot of fun to do and are a lot of fun to, um, you know, just uh, go back and listen to and stuff. I mean, just really great things being shared on these, a lot of really cool people, some new people adding in every week. Last week we had, um, gosh, I don't remember her name, but, uh, and Amy, I can't remember, but a a nice young lady from Red Rocks, which is most of our favorite venue, except I was reminded the load in and out are disgusting and really difficult. But aside from that, just an amazing place to see an act and, um, you know, having her on talking about some of the cool changes that they're making, things that they're trying just to stay viable. And so, Um, As always, if you want to join us on the Wednesday happy hours, just shoot an email to geezers at gearsource.com and say, please add me to the happy hour and your email will be added to the invite list and you will be kept uh, on that invite list for coming weeks as well. As long as uh, everyone thinks this is a cool thing to do on Wednesdays anyways, let me know when it's not. Um, what else did I want to talk about today? So of course, COVID-19, coronavirus, you know, pandemic, uh, this, this sort of crappy moment that we're all going through. Um, some of the things I saw come up last week and I might've already talked about this one, but there's a guy I follow on, uh, on Facebook who does a lot of these Facebook live and, and, uh, YouTube videos and stuff, but a guy named, uh, Mark Ribelay, Who's an EDM uh, artist? He very odd guy. He usually performs in either a like a kimono looking robe, or sometimes in his underwear, and uh, he's usually in a room in his house or a hotel room or something. But he does these loops, you know, where these these people just use a looping machine and and a series of you know either uh, like production um, what do they call these things production center. Uh, types of devices, you know, where you got a bunch of buttons that you can program different sounds into them and stuff. But he'll create loops out of, you know, just weird sounds or shakers or his voice, or sometimes, you know, actual drums and stuff. But he creates a song live and does it over and over again. And what happens, people call in and say, you know, uh, coronavirus, and he'll make a whole song about coronavirus. And then somebody will call in and say Volkswagen, and he'll make a song about Volkswagen. And just a super talented and entertaining guy. Anyways, he announced last week uh, that he is doing a drive-in tour of the U.S. So I don't know much more about it. I don't know dates or anything, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a very interesting guy. And actually, I would probably drive out and check that out just, you know, because A, I want to see what a drive-in concert is like. And B, uh, you know, I like him and see I want to promote live music in any way I can so that's um interesting another announcement that I saw made I think it was maybe Thursday last week in their uh in in his earnings call um uh, Michael Rapino CEO of Live Nation said that they are looking at doing uh smaller tours and even sort of jump around tours I forget what uh uh, Patrick called it something. Um, but anyways, you know, these, these sort of jump tours where you're not doing every city in every state, but you're jumping state to state, or maybe even missing a couple of states because they're still on lockdown or something, but they're looking at doing those things. They're looking at, uh, the viability of drive-in shows or drive-in tours, And, um, you know, it's good to hear because uh, a couple of weeks ago we were hearing from Live Nation that they're sort of hunkered down, waiting until the end of 2021 or whatever, and that we didn't want to hear. So that's great news, I think. And honestly, I mean, every day, all day, I'm seeing all kinds of interesting news uh, coming out. I'm seeing, you know, some good, some bad. Uh, One of the other things, someone sent me an article this morning. It was rather long, but very interesting. It was a lot about um, agents in the movie business and, and producers and how that whole industry has shifted now. The, the power has shifted from the agents over to the producers and, you know, with a massive sort of hole in content right now or a need for content because of all the streaming services sort of taking over, uh, you know, with movie theaters being closed and stuff, streaming services have, have become so much more important. And so um, the pecking order has kind of changed in Hollywood, and that's causing other discussions. And I'm not sure if this guy knew something or if he just made these up, but he he made some interesting um, sort of uh, just developments that he came up with where he thinks or thought or maybe had information about companies like Disney and Amazon uh, taking over the movie theaters of this country so that's that's a you know certainly an industry that's very challenged right now They may or may not come back once this is all opened back up again they're not going to be the first uh, businesses to reopen of course and so once they come back will it still be a viable business model and whether it is or not uh, an interesting sort of, um, I don't know, creative discussion happened from this guy where he said, can you imagine Disney owning the movie theaters and be able to create a Disney experience around a Disney release while also offering other content, other movies, et cetera, or Amazon, you know, being able to offer Prime members, you know, uh, deals or early showings of, of the new Star Wars or whatever, um, plus obviously shoving their own uh, content down your throat at the same time, and creating a full Amazon experience when you're in concessions or when you're not in the theater itself, and then they got into some esports stuff and. But, you know, the more I was reading this and the more I thought about it, it really does sound like a viable business and a, and a great idea for companies the size and style of Disney and Amazon. Like Disney really is struggling with uh, sort of traditional shopping mall experiences. You know, they're, they've got many, many retail stores in shopping malls that are failing miserably and that are closed right now and uh so how is disney coping with that and how how would they want to sort of change their business going forward so really interesting stuff anyways today episode 104 we have david davinian and david's a guy i've wanted to get on uh for quite some time there are not many people who have a resume like this guy and i'm not going to read through it cuz honestly it would take me all day um I can't wait really to hear from him just sort of the progression because, you know, when you read his his resume, David's resume reads like a novel. I mean, it's so long and there are so many acts and he's been doing this for such a long time at such a high level and in multiple disciplines too. So not only has he worked with a lot of acts, but he's worked with a lot of different acts in a lot of different Areas as a lighting designer, as a video designer, video director, production manager, tour manager, just, you know, he's done so much with so many and has done it at a very high level with very high quality, done it very well, uh, is a great guy. And so please welcome with me, David Davidian. So good morning and welcome, David. So happy to have you here.
2: So happy to be here. It's the first time I ever done one of these kind of things. Oh,
0: I I can't even believe that, to be honest, (laughs) because most of the people I interview, most of the people I bring on this show have already done this a few times. And of course, when they finish, they go, well, you were by far the best. But, uh, but, you (laughs) know, see,
2: you got that in the bag. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: But I'm surprised you. I mean, you've done so much. So it's incredible to me that your phone wouldn't be ringing off the hook saying, hey, could you come on my podcast? But uh, fortunately nah. for you now you've done the best one and you, you don't have to do That's any right. of the other ones. But I I <laughs> I, uh, I mean I know that everybody's sitting around and has a lot of time right now, although, you know, so many people I know are doing like home renovations and <laughs> all those things you never have time to do when you're touring, right?
2: That's right, so. man. Everybody's gonna leave this with clean cars, clean you know tidied backyards and uh, painted true? furniture and yeah. all that kind of stuff. That's it, what I've been doing as well. Painting lawn furniture and yeah. doing a yard and yeah. all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I was
0: going to ask you how you're keeping busy. You know, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, again, when you spend half your year or more on the road, it's easy to find projects around the house to keep you busy, I guess. Right. Yeah. So
2: it is. And of course with the, the tour managing stuff that I'm doing now and production stuff that there's always, it's a few calls to deal with and, you know, shows being postponed and all that kind of stuff. So in the current role, I do have ongoing things there, rebooking stuff and looking at new dates and all that kind of happy. That's good.
0: New dates are good. You know, I mean it probably for, for designers and stuff, or I know for a lot of road guys, it's gotten to the point where you don't want to answer your phone because it's like, what's canceling now, you know? And, you know, it started where it was just the first couple of weeks that were canceling. Then it was a month, then it was two months. And then it was to the end of 2021 or whatever, you know, or 2020. That's right. Well, let's hope not, man. Let's hope not. I'm
2: hoping to God that something will be up and running by the end of summer.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Certainly, some things are going to be. And, you know, I'm sure you're watching the news and paying attention to what's going on out Mm -hmm. there. But, uh, you know, live sports have already started without fans. And they've (laughs) announced baseball is going to go on without fans, which is kind of weird. Yeah,
2: I don't care about them without fans because I want to see fans, goddammit, so we can open up.
0: Well, you but know, at the same time, I mean, if there could be concerts without fans, at least we could do well, our jobs, right? True but, enough. True but enough. They, it's but. just not going to happen. Concerts without fans. I mean, yes, there is a market for streamed shows and, and yeah. for, uh, you know, online things and Facebook Live and all yeah. the, these different things that are happening. There's a market, but it's just not going to pay very well. And, and uh, I think it's yeah, just well, more fulfilling the needs of the artists to stay in front of their fans. That's really all that's doing. But, well, that's
2: uh, it. And anybody who's done any extensive rehearsals knows that the band is totally different you yeah. know, without fans and with fans yeah. adding, putting those people in the house makes all the difference to those guys on stage. Totally so true. It's a. You know, as much as they'll, you know, as much as they can uh, act their way through a show without fans, it would never ever be this exactly the same yeah. because they thrive on that energy yeah. and that feedback well, they get from the kids.
0: That's totally true, and I've heard the the flip side of that. Well, if you're a professional, you know, you should be able to do it, but it, it, there's yes, just an energy. True. Yeah, but there's an right. energy. I mean, I even yeah. saw it. I, you know, I'm a big UFC fighting fan and mm-hmm. they had their big first uh, live event on Saturday night and although the fighting looked pretty similar I mean it, it's a fight right Shut but that. they just didn't seem to have the same energy and excitement and, and like they weren't getting as pumped up as they would normally And right. um, you know the fighters after the fact said yeah it was fine it, you know it seemed the same once you're in the ring you're focused on the guy across from you not on the fans in the audience or whatever but I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's an event as much as it's just a fight between two people, right? So, Correct.
2: I mean, and people are always interested in uh, people, you know, getting beat up and who's going to win. It's yeah. the same way they're interested in watching somebody play a guitar. But yeah, for the people who are doing the job, they feed off of that energy. Yeah. I mean, that's why crowds were created. That's why yeah. all these places were built, because – the energy that the uh, participants get from the audience is yeah
0: uh, yeah. David is any can't. any are any of the artists that you work with or any of the shows you're doing or anything has anyone discussed sort of an alternative approach like either fanless streaming or a drive-in? You know, like I don't know if you've seen these drive-in tours that have been announced mm-hmm. and starting to be done.
2: I haven't. I haven't. I heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was talking with a friend of mine who works for Live Nation. He was saying something about these parking, you know, like drive-in.
0: Yeah.
2: Drive-in kind of shows that are supposed to happen. No, I haven't heard too much about them. And none of the artists, the, the none of the two artists I'm working with right now are talking about uh, doing anything like that. I mean, yeah. they have talked about doing some like, uh, I don't know, That most of their stuff is is more charity orientated at yeah. this point. Not, yeah. not, yeah. Self, not, not really redoing, trying to get a kickstart on their careers per se. Yeah. It's more like, how can we, how can I help people and how can I help the crew guys and yeah. the band guys that are now unemployed? And
0: yeah, you well, know, and uh, your your artists as well, I believe, um, sort of fall into the kind of danger category, right? Like where yeah. they have to I'll be no concerned doubt. about their own health, and that's the same uh, among a lot of the sort of rock and roll, classic rock crowds. classic artists. Classic yeah, rock crowd, yeah. No I mean, doubt. they have to be concerned about their own health because they're in the high risk category, and uh, they are indeed. So I, I completely get it. You know, it's uh, it's a terrible situation we find ourselves in. I don't know mm-hmm. that anybody saw this coming. That's for sure. I certainly didn't. And and Live Nation, I don't think, did, even though they have pretty deep pockets and they can live through it. But, no. you know. Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't think anybody saw it to this degree. I thought, Never. you know, I think everybody's kind of thought it would be like a hiccup. But this is a, this is a coma.
0: Yeah, it really is. You know, that's, I mean... That's a good analogy. <laughs> it really no, is honey. like wake us up already, please.
2: Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's, no.
0: uh, it's 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 crazy and you know, sadly, you know, I know some people who've lost their businesses already. And I know a lot of other people will lose their businesses and you know, I, I know someone who's in his late sixties and he's about to close his business and he doesn't know what he's going to do because he always thought, you know, I can just put my kids in my business eventually and they'll run it and, you know, keep my bills paid for me. Um, but he's not sitting on piles of cash or anything. And, and now he's worried about, you know, retirement basically, No.
2: I mean, our business has also suffered from, I mean, I've said to a few people that sadly for whatever good or bad reason, this isn't the first time I've been six to eight months unemployed and didn't have a virus to blame on it. Just (laughs) that nobody freaking wanted me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we live in a biz, we work in a business where unemployment and living, you know, this, we all know about the beauty contest that happens when you're unemployed, trying to find a job. Yeah. And, I've struggled with it at least three or four times in my life where I've gone long time. So I learned a long time ago to try and, you know, build some money for a rainy day and learn how to circle the wagons and the process of like, you know, running through the money you have and then going to credit cards and then trying to, trying to deal with it. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm lucky that I've learned how to survive and I, I would tell anybody that, that you know, that, I mean, this is the job that you've chosen. You go times, extended periods of time, sometimes, at least I can only speak for myself, that you are unemployed. I mean, yeah. and with nothing to blame except that you can't find anybody to hire you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so, a bit of a feast or famine business in that way. You know, it's yes, it is. like you'll go through two years where you can't get home for a day and then that's right. all of a sudden you're home for six months wondering what just happened, you know?
2: That's right. So, exactly right. And you yeah. can spin on a dime for other reasons. So, I mean, it is terrible. I I hope to God everybody, the problem is it doesn't usually happen to everybody, just you.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> true, isn't it? This time it's true. just happened to everybody, you know? Yeah. Well, I have a friend who's who's in the pharmacy business, and he uh, he called me up last week or, or sent me texts with pictures mm-hmm. of his brand new Porsche that he just bought—a Porsche Turbo, you know, because lucky him, he, he's he's <laughs> you know two hundred percent up on his business or whatever. It's go. just going because right. cool. he sells to uh, um, assisted living facilities and stuff, very large chains of them, and uh, you know his business is just going absolutely crazy right now, so. Um, I know,
2: not to digress, but this damn uh, virus is going to shine a light on the inadequacies of the senior care system. Oh, completely. Uh, much longer than uh, this virus is going to last. They're going to find out how badly some of these places are run and how poorly people's parents or whatever, relatives and loved ones are yeah. truly looked after when they think that they're paying good money yeah. to have these people have their loved ones care of it really my, will my mom's it. in
0: a my mom's in a memory care uh facility mm-hmm. for dementia um but it's up in western yeah. canada and you know right. the level of service and quality of service she's gotten and you know nobody's gotten sick there and mm-hmm. nothing bad has happened and you know she's got dementia so she doesn't even really know that there's a you know yeah. what virus like she That's just right. keeps asking us when we're coming to visit because the facility bought iPads and we can we can call in on Zoom and oh, talk, to, talk to uh, talk to talk our, to our you know loved yeah. ones in there and stuff but you know one of the other weird things is how centralized these problems are obviously New York New Jersey have real trouble with the senior facilities but Florida where we have loads of senior facilities mm-hmm. seems to have done a better job and I'm not well, sure why yeah. I don't know
2: either. And I, I, you know, whether, like you say, whether it's regional, well, we all know the, the dogged bureaucracy of the New York city area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody suffers. It is yeah. sad.
1: It's, it is
2: it is sad. That's the thing that's real. I mean, it's good because it's It's about time that, you know, people realized that, you know, these things aren't sometimes what shit you, is broken. What, yeah, Shit is broken and you <laughs> yeah. need to watch Yeah, and you need to look, you know, yeah. you need to like check in and do this. Yeah. Wake, expect.
0: wake up folks yeah yeah but for we'll sure see. i mean I'm so david you've done so many things and you know i i <laughs> still have your resume open and you know normally on an intro which i just did an intro before you came on but oh, did uh, you? normally on an intro i'll go through someone's resume and yours i didn't even try and start because i i would add a 30 minute intro just reading your your resume yeah. I mean, You've worked with so many artists, and I was talking with John Wiseman about you yesterday, and he said, you know, that is a great guy, and he's done some amazing things. And his memory said that the first time the two of you worked together, what would you say it was? Do you remember? First time you worked with Wiseman?
2: Uh I'm not, a, the first time I truly remember working with John is the Bon Jovi days.
0: Yeah. Um, he said Night Ranger, uh, but
2: he was, yeah, he was in the, I was going to say he's up in the Bay area where I was living and he was in Sacramento when I was in San Francisco. And yes, Night Ranger. That, yeah. that sounds absolutely true. Cause Night Ranger was kind of, yeah, they were based up in the Bay area as well. And they opened for Sammy. Yeah. Uh, it was their first tour. Yeah. It was opening for Sammy. And then I, you know, like happens a lot, the opening act likes what you do and you, you know, you do some work with them and all that. And, uh, and yeah, I was up there working with them in the Bay area and I went to, I couldn't go out on the road with them. Um, right. right. Because, well, because of God rest his soul, Ed Leffler, who, uh, I loved and everything, but he was very old school and he was kind of like a lot of control. So yeah. if I worked for Sammy, I couldn't actually physically go anywhere
0: else. Yeah. So, but let's, <laughs> but, let's go further back. So, you know, how yeah. did you get into this? And, and quite often uh-huh. it's somebody who was a musician and, uh-huh. you know, just couldn't make it as a drummer. So they became a lighting guy or whatever. But, okay.
2: No, nothing like that for me. Uh, I was a kid. I was just a kid. I mean, uh, I was, just a kid in this, uh, uh, new Bedford, Massachusetts, little Cape Cod kind of town. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was a teenager, I mean, honest to God, you know, I was a big Elvis fan as a child. Yeah. And, uh, I remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and I kind of dissed them saying, ah, fucking Elvis is where it's at,
1: you know? <laughs>
2: uh, but, uh, you know, so I was a big Elvis fan. I, I went to all, I saw all the movies, I know all the records and all that stuff. And then, uh, and then really where it turned for me is, uh, for whatever reason, my mother in the uh, 19, whatever it was, 68 or 69 for Christmas, bought Led Zeppelin one for me Jesus! because somebody she knew told her that was like a good record for, to buy a teenager, you know, uh, And uh, I was 14 or 15, and that was the end of it. So I wore that record out, and I just became like, let's use the word, a music kind of kid who loved music. I just got my license, so when I got my license, it was eight tracks, and I hung around with my friends, and I had a trunk full of eight tracks, and we'd drive around all day long listening to music and stuff like that. So I just thought, well, how could I do this, you know? And I was in high school and (laughs) what I did was I went to a, uh, you know, I said, well, I want to go to some concerts and I was so interested I got into all the liner jackets and stuff like that. So there was a local college near me, SMU, Southern, (laughs) Southeastern Massachusetts University. So I went, they had a, and this was in the years of God bless them. And I love them for death The concert committees and yeah, uh, college, yeah. you know, when, when has got a shit pile of money to have concerts and had to lose it all and all that. So they had concerts. So I, I went to the concert committee and I went to the college and I told them I went to school there and I wanted to, I became the, a reviewer for the college newspaper. Right. So I went and I saw like four shows uh, and I got to interview Frank Zappa when I was wow. like 16 years old and, uh, until they found out I was in high school and then they kicked me off. Uh. Right. And then I just was trying to th- okay, how can I do this? How can I do this? And, uh, and I decided to try and put on shows. So, so I but, went to, but the-
0: how'd you get this interview with Frank Zappa? Cause I mean, I was would- working for the college
2: newspaper and he was playing on the college.
1: Wow.
0: That so it was is part so of the college cool. newspaper.
2: And the fu- and the funny thing is, and I kind of remember like it was yesterday. And of course, you know, I was like totally freaked out because I was such a Zappa fan. Yeah. And uh, I studied for weeks trying to figure out the questions I would ask and not sound like an idiot and all that. <laughs> so we get to the interview and they have all the local papers around there asking him questions. And about 10 minutes after we were into it, he like puts his foot down and throws everybody out. He throws all the news people out except me what? saying that I was the only one asking intelligent questions and tossed all the you were professional real papers out. Yeah. Cause I was a real fan. Right. So I remember it, never forget it. It was kind of fun. That and
1: is so cool.
2: It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started to put on local shows when I was a kid. Uh, my father actually then bought a bar. So I did one at his bar. You know local bands, and so I made
0: a little money. And, so you were like uh, promoting these shows when you say you put them on? Promoting, yeah, promoting, yeah, oh, wow. promoting
2: the shows. I so oh. put them on, and uh, one at a VFW, one at my father's bar, because I couldn't get into a bar because I wasn't drinking age, right? But I get in my father's. But and then, uh, and then, and then, oddly enough, I'll try and keep this short. But oddly enough, one of my best friends' fathers was a bookmaker. Okay. So I talked my best friend's father into giving me $15,000 to put on a professional show with a professional band. I looked all around the city. I found this old theater that was run down. I found who owned it. And I told the owner, I said, if you let me put on a show in your venue, I'll go in and I'll clean it up, fix all the seats, you know, do everything I can to make it right. And the guy said, yeah. Yeah. So me and my friends had a theater to hang out in the whole winter and we fixed it up and I took that money and I went to, I went and I but found- But hang on a the, sec.
0: How does, mm-hmm. how does a kid go to a guy and he's a bookmaker, but it doesn't matter. He could be a car dealer or whatever. He's my best friend's father. But still, I mean, I can't go to my best friend's father today. And, and, you know, the equivalent of 15,000 back then today is probably 200,000 I mean, that's a couple hundred grand today, right?
2: No, God, not nineteen seventy one. I wouldn't tell you it's a couple hundred grand. But that's fifty uh, years you know. ago. Uh, yeah, Still don't have to remind me.
0: <laughs> that's forty nine years uh, ago. That's that's a lot yeah. of money back then. But, but so uh, you go to this guy and, and what did you tell him? You just said I told him I had put on two shows,
2: I made some money, I had well, Bill Graham, the Fillmore East exists, the Fillmore West, Bill who was a hero of mine and I got to work with Bill Graham and work for uh BGP, which was like really one of those great things for me in my life, but
1: yeah.
2: um, uh, you know, I just kind of told him. I said, "Look, you have these things. People do it all the time. I made some money. I can make money for you, right? I can make, you know, I can make money for you." Right? And did, he, and, did uh, he?
0: Did he make you sign some kind of a contract or something, or did he just give you the he's a bookmaker? He's yeah, a bookie. he, he can get he his money sign. back.
2: He didn't sign. <laughs> well, that was one of the things that because of course it it actually all went wrong, and that's what happened. Is so so we did. I talked to my friend's father. I found this guy. And so we put the show on. And then I found, I, I knew I had to hire a sound company and a lighting company. And that's where I found this company called Virgo Light, who was run by Richard Ocean and Sam Schneiderman. Uh, and they helped me actually introduce me to premier talent. And I did the thing. It was, I ended up do, using Canned Heat was the band that I had. Okay. Right. And I tried to do two shows in the same day. And so we put it together, I did it, show failed. Okay, it
0: failed. Failed how? Like you just didn't sell tickets? Didn't sell enough tickets. Okay.
2: Right, didn't sell enough tickets. The show went on, Uh, I didn't sell enough tickets. I managed to make just enough money to pay the balance of the fee to the band and pay everybody, but I lost the deposit.
1: Oh boy. Right.
2: I lost this 15 grand. And of course I was destitute, you know, it was like one of the first times I ever felt like I, you know, I was, you know, you talk about, you know, you know, he can get his money back and all that. Yeah. So,
0: but did, did so, you know uh, what you were doing as far as like, did you make a budget and did you, course not Of did you know exactly how many tickets you needed to sell in order to, of course not. <laughs> no,
2: I mean, I knew how many tickets I had to sell to make money. You were just flying by the
0: seat of your pants, yeah, right?
2: I, I knew how many tickets I had to sell to make money, but I wasn't doing budgets
0: or anything like that. I was just, you
2: know, I mean, I, I knew, I just figured it would sell. I, you know, of course I did marketing. I put up posters and took out an ad in the local newspaper and all that, but it, it just kind of failed. I wasn't, it, I wasn't, it's professional an interesting topic, in though,
0: because I was talking with somebody recently and he said, uh, um, he was standing with a promoter at a show and it was, I don't remember if it was a Live Nation guy or who it was, but, uh, he turned around and was looking at the lawn and the guy said to him, you know, what are you looking back there for? And he said, because that's my profit. You know, basically if, if the lawn sells, we make money. If it doesn't, we don't. And, uh, you know, they really know, like they'll look at the last few rows, you know, at the back of the arena and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's down to those last five or six rows. That's That's right. The margins are so skinny. That's our Yeah,
2: absolutely right. But I mean, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was terrifying
0: experience. And, uh, so did you have to go back to the bookie and say, I'm sorry. I did, and I paid them back. Oh wow! How'd and you manage that back. though? Fifteen grand. Was oh, it took a
2: about of money. Yeah, it took about five or six years. Oh, uh, Jesus. well. So what? What ended up happening is, uh, is the lighting company Sam and Richard felt bad for me when they knew that I had lost everything, and they offered me a job.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
2: They offered me a job, and uh, and I said yeah, and then. The next week, I was going to do my first show as a lighting guy with Mountain and uh, Providence at the Palace Theater. Oh,
0: that's interesting. And so uh, Do you think if that show would have been successful with Canned Heat, <laughs> you right. might have been a promoter today? or? <laughs>
2: I don't know. I, I don't know. I certainly would have still known Sam and Richard. So it probably wouldn't have taken me that long to fail because I didn't. I mean, I was 17 or something at the time. That's and I didn't have any real knowledge. I was totally, you know, I, you know, canned heat. I didn't have the money. You know, I didn't do the box office. Anything. I had to wait till the next morning. It was the classic thing where the next morning at like six in the morning, I was at the Holiday Inn knocking on the door of the road manager for canned heat with like my pile of one dollar bills and tens and twenties to right. like pay him off the balance, and I had to talk him into doing the show without full payment. You know, because I hadn't counted the money yet and all that. Wow.
0: Wow. (laughs) You know, a lot of learning went on though, huh?
2: Yeah. But I mean, that's my way into it. And then I started doing lights for Sam and Richard. And then I worked with that company for like eight years and nine years. And Sam and Richard taught me all the basics of lighting and, you know, gave me my, my tutorial on how to do lights and, you know, whatever, you know, additive mixing, subtractive mixing, angles, drama. So they gave you a gig and
0: and you really had no experience with lights, right? No,
2: no, I never, nothing, zero. So, you know, so I mean, I started, I was the lighting crew guy. I was the crew, you know, it was me and Richard, really. And for the most part, Sam was more administrative, although Sam did a bunch of shows.
0: Yeah. So you were, you were pushing, you were pushing cases and wrapping cables and.
2: Absolutely. The days of, uh, the days of pipe and bass, baby.
0: Yeah. Wow. Good times. Good time. There's nothing more fun than
2: taking an 18-foot pipe and boom with about 10 old Altman Lecos and Fresnels and trying to tip it backwards and catch it as it falls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So were yeah. you were you there? That was called what? Virgo lighting or Virgo? Virgo light. Yeah. yeah. So were you with them when you designed your first show or was that later? Yes. Oh, no, you were I was
2: with them. Yeah, first time I actually designed a show would have been like 75,
0: 76. Do you remember who it was?
2: Um, my first real design client probably was Hot Tuna.
0: Hot Tuna. That's boy, right. That's wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun back then, boy. That was, those were the days. But, uh, yeah, because at the time, you know, our one of our bigger clients were Aerosmith, right? And right. then I just, that was the first band I ever really toured extensively with. So as a crew guy, it was me and Richard and the truck driving, We'd have our, you know, and the, by seventy five or four we had genie towers, which I thought was the best thing ever happened in my life. Yeah. It was a genie tower, so you didn't have to uh, so you didn't have to, you know, uh, didn't have to do pipe and boom, you yeah. know. So you just press a button and the thing would go up in the air.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: You know. I mean uh, what an
0: invention uh, that was. Yeah. And then
2: trusses, I think the first time I ever saw a truss was at a Jethro Tull show somewhere in Boston Garden and then Sam and Richard they built their own truss and uh, I'll tell you stupid things I mean Vermette Towers first I'll tell you this old story I don't, I don't want to tell too much of this stuff but,
1: uh, know, I love we the had, old stories
2: uh, we used to use what, uh, the first moving truss I think probably ever was really was it was with Aerosmith and it was I think it was the beginning of uh, Get Your Wings right. They had just made this truss and they used, they made a steel, steel double row truss, right? And they used what's called a vermet lift to put it up, which was a, vermet lift was like a four inch square metal tube that arced backwards. And then when you cranked it up, the arc, the arc came to straight line, right?
1: Yep.
2: So what we did, and there was a big nut about, you know, about the size of that on the, uh, on the handle, so what we did is we got two big Milwaukee half inch or three quarter inch drills and put the nut size on the drill. I was on one side and a stage hand was on the other. And when the show started, we, we had the fucking nuts. We had the drill on the nut and I'd take my head and I'd go like that. And we'd pull the trigger and fucking crank the drills and the drills would raise the truss to the top of the Vermont tower. Oh my God. <laughs> wow that's insane that's right man and the thing would get up to the top and then the towers would go (sighs) oh no until it settled
0: (laughs) yeah well and and you look at the safety standards we have today and and you compare and go whoa we did some funny stuff
2: oh yeah man our pyro was a duplex box with the two stacon ends that I would take a single piece of copper wire and twist it between the stacons and then dump the gunpowder on it and then plug it into a wall socket. That's pretty much the the exact same. We did the exact, (laughs)
0: like I was in a band and, and we were using pyro and we did the exact same thing, but we had this cool switching system where we used, uh, it was a switch from like, um, high beams on a car.
2: Oh, yeah. And okay, cool. uh, that was like our relay. Switch. to Yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. somebody in the band, as soon as everybody was away from the flash pots, somebody in the band would hit that switch and whatever we had in there to burn that day would go up and up and yeah. uh, nobody ever got hurt doing it that way. You know, we stayed pretty safe and yeah. So, yeah, funny I mean, that's stuff. how I
2: got into the business, man. And uh, yeah, that was funny stuff. I mean, I, it was amazing. Thank God we never had a never had any kind of a major accident, but you know, it was, I mean, Sam and Richard were very creative that way. And uh, like I yeah. said, I think that that was certainly the first moving trust I ever saw. And,
0: was, uh, was that the period of time, though, when, like, had you decided by now, this is what I want to do for the yeah. rest of my career, for the rest of my life? Well, I, I never thought lighting. of it
2: that way. I never thought of it so much that way as a career. I, I thought that it was really great, and I just wanted to do it until it ran out. Yeah. Sort of that way. Yeah. You know, re, I mean, remember,
1: I was still... young in 1920
2: 20 20 years old yeah i didn't think that you know
1: you
0: were having a blast like I was okay yeah
2: yeah (laughs) it was hard work you know i mean this was during the gas days when the gas shortage was there right so we used to have a 50 gallon drum of gas in the back of the truck that we'd have to siphon in case we couldn't find a gas station
1: oh god
2: It had a 50 gallon drum of gas in there and a hose. And like every time we'd pull up to a loading dock, we'd have to tell everybody, put out their cigarettes, step away from the back of the thing and open it up. But yeah, we, we carried a 50 gallon drum of gasoline in the back of the truck. Well, and when you're the youngest
0: guy, you're probably always the low guy on the totem pole too. So you're the guy who gets to do the siphoning and that's right. Yeah. You get all the shitty jobs. Yeah, that's
2: right. But, uh, you know, I mean, I learned a lot and, uh, you know, was a crew chief
0: for many, many,
2: many years.
0: Yeah. So, what was your first uh, touring act that you were the designer? You were the LD, and well, like I say, probably Hot Tuna.
2: Uh, Hot so Tuna was probably him? one of them. Oh yeah, I was oh, with them
0: okay. three or four.
2: Three or four years. Oh wow. Him, you know, but never like never east, never west of the Mississippi. Okay. Uh, we did everything east of the Mississippi, and John Richardson, Jr. Uh, Morpheus did yeah. everything west of the Mississippi. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Yeah, that's was how that I common. Was that common back then that you'd split an act with a Western company?
2: Well, lighting was local at that time. Yeah. Nobody carried it. Nobody carried it. So these bands would use Hot Tuna. Used us east of the Mississippi, they used Morpheus west of the yeah.
0: Mississippi. Yeah. I mean, there was so, no moving lights yet or anything, so it wasn't very complicated.
2: No, moving lights didn't really start till 1980, 81, yeah. you know,
1: with, Gen-
0: with Genesis. Right. Right. Uh, That's when know. everything got a little bit uh, more expensive, more complicated.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Color changes just came out previously. I mean, I was the crew chief on the Rolling Stones in 81, right? The tattoo you thing. Yeah. And, uh, and we went to go see Genesis. We were playing uh, DC and then Madison Square Garden. And Genesis were playing Forest Hills with their brand new moving light system. Yeah. And we went to go see them and it pissed down rain and the whole thing was a freaking mess. We, I remember us all walking back saying, oh, thank God we didn't have those things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was your first moving light show then? Do you remember?
2: Um, You, you mean for me as yeah. a designer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, my moving lights for me didn't come until really, uh, Bon Jovi and Van Halen.
0: Really? Huh? Mm -hmm. That was a while later, huh? Uh, 86,
1: 85,
2: 86. Yeah. I'd have to go look at my damn resume to see what I was doing before then. So
1: is it uh, true
0: that you worked for Sammy when Sammy joined Van Halen, right? Correct. That's why that's, I came, that was, I came
2: with that. Van Halen adopted the manager Ed Leffler, my Sammy, and myself
0: because Pete went with Dave. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was so
2: working with Saxon a lot. Well, I was working with Sammy, but you know Saxon, who was what I was working for right before I uh, started Van Halen, I was in the UK yeah.
0: with Saxon. So he, that was a that was a pretty nice uh, bump, I guess. That was it was
2: terrific. Van I mean, Halen it was, was uh, a big deal. Yeah, Van Halen was a big deal. Yeah, Yeah, it was very exciting and great and terrific. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I remember, like everybody, being worried about what was going to happen on that first record. Yeah. uh, Yeah, it might not work. Yeah, that I went up to Ed's house. I went up to Ed's house first time to the studio, right? Yeah. To listen. and, uh, And then they played me, what did they play me? They played me good enough and they played me dreams. And then I remember walking out going, oh, this is going to be all right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, those, yeah. Are, those are two pretty amazing songs. Yeah. You know, yeah. what's funny is back then, you know, I was a diehard Van Halen fan. Oh, and yeah. So back then, I remember being pissed off when, when uh, yeah. Sammy joined the band. It was like, this mm-hmm. ain't Van Halen. This is going to suck. And when I look back now, that's my favorite Van Halen by far is, is the really? Sammy stuff. You well, know?
2: that's nice of you to say. I always thought of it as two different bands. Really? really? Very
0: much so. Very different style I always thought of, of it as
2: two different bands. So yeah. you can like one, you can like the other. Sammy yeah. never had that kind of, you know, let's use the word. Well, I don't want to use that word. But, you know, Sammy and Dave, two different animals.
1: Yeah. yeah two different animals. Much. So yeah.
2: they brought their individual bonuses and drawbacks to the yeah. band. And uh, And like I say, I always from day one thought that, it was two different bands so you you liked one you liked the other hopefully you could like both and appreciate yeah both but one i never got one certainly
0: has more lasting power on his vocal abilities than the other one (laughs) sammy's
2: probably a better technical singer than dave was but dave dave had something that was
0: uh, just charisma he had a he had a charisma that i don't think any front man had at that point right. maybe not till but even day.
2: with his singing and all that i mean with what he did his attitude on the mic yeah. and yeah. the way he sang a song and what he added and in environment call it environment charisma whatever yeah. it, it, it's you know it's uh it's priceless so you know? how how
0: long did you stay with uh with van halen uh till 93 i believe it was so it was
2: oh, like wow. 85 or 86 to 93 ish to the F U C K tour. That was, was my a, last. That
0: was a really great run. Yeah, it was. I've been
2: I've been lucky to have long, long runs. I had a long run with them. I had a long run with Bon Jovi, long run with Van Halen, long run with Rush. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been blessed to have uh a lot of let's use the word return business.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think people forget about you with Rush, you know? Oh. Yeah. Well, It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, a lot of people might forget that, but yeah, you were there a while.
2: Yeah. Um, 16 years from about 2000 until they sad to say had to disband.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Howard's one of my favorite people. Me too, man. I would
2: have Howard is the reason I was there. I knew Howard as a lighting designer. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rush, I think, worked with Aerosmith when I was with Aerosmith on the crew, and I believe that's when I met Howard. Yeah, and uh, we stayed friends for all those years. And uh, I was actually doing video for Enrique when we were rehearsing in Toronto. And yeah. I've been—I was with Enrique for about fifteen years as well, often. Right,
0: on. right. I forgot uh, about that one.
2: We were rehearsing in Toronto, and Howard came to visit. And he told me that they were thinking about making a change and asked, you know, and without Howard, I would never be there. So, yeah. you know, it was, uh, it was Howard was Howard the One of the things
0: in. I love about Howard, he's he's such an incredible storyteller. You know, he is. Uh, he's one of the funniest tellers yeah. of stories that I know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so he was on my podcast and he told me, uh, I don't know if he ever told you the story about stealing the horse.
2: Mm, mm, I don't think
0: so. Uh, you got to ask him you got to ask him okay. one day it's a damn funny story i was in tears listening to this story about this <laughs> nah, stealing a horse of course it had steal something to do with tr- trying to get some girls of course right you know so oh <laughs> yeah they convinced him to steal a horse but anyways yeah. yeah so you know one of the one of the super interesting things i think about david davidian is the fact <laughs> that you have been so incredibly diverse in your career. And, um, oh, thanks. you know, again, I mean, there's this, there's this massive list of bands that you were with, but right. when, when you look at your resume, it doesn't just list all these bands with <laughs> LD at the top. It's, you know, there's this list that's, oh, yeah. that's LD and then there's this list that's video director and this one's production right. management and this one's tour manager. And so, yeah, I'm I'm assuming that much of that was just down to necessity that, you know, hey, I need a yes. gig. I'm going to learn a lot of different skills.
2: Right. Well, I mean, that's right. Uh, it, you know, one fed off of the other. In other words, uh, you know, I found a long time ago that uh, obviously from the <laughs> resumes, but that bands couldn't afford to have just a lighting guy. Right. You know, and of course, back when I started, we advanced all of our, all of the shows the production manager job wasn't the job that it was today. And in some degrees didn't exist. There was a tour manager, road manager guy that looked after everything, but every department looked after themselves. They made the calls to the venues and they did, you know, they looked after themselves. Right. So I had, I had done some of that. And, uh, and when I realized that, you know, the only way to be able to get a job and get a decent paycheck from a middle size, a mid-level or smaller band was to wear a different hat. And I said, you know, I tried the production manager one. I knew that I could do that. And I just, you know, it's like everything you try and learn, you know, you—you, you, I've learned by doing, you know, and uh, yeah. And so I, I knew what it took to advance for the lighting and then I just you know, added, talk to sound guys, figure out what they needed. You talk to the band, what they need and you make a list and then you start the advanced sheet and then you start doing it, you know? Yeah.
0: But if, if you could ever focus on just one discipline, would you pick one? Like
2: uh, Um, if I could focus on one discipline, I think it would certainly be one of the creative ones.
1: Yeah. So either lighting or or
0: or something. Yeah.
2: I, I miss doing lights. I, uh, I people, and that's one of the problems is people all of a sudden think you can't do it anymore or don't, you know, you fall out of favor or whatever the, yeah, all it is that happens. But, uh, I do miss doing it. I do still write down, you know, write down ideas and look at things and think like that. But
0: uh, yeah, well
2: know, it, I would, if it, I had my choice, it would be a creative lighting or video.
0: Yeah. I mean, lighting, certainly the gear has become much more complicated. Like I remember when, you know, a big moving light had, you know, 12 channels of control and now it might have hundreds, you know.
2: That's correct. It's crazy.
0: And then you add in thousands of channels of of video and all of these different things. Ah. And so it's gotten so complicated with all these universes and all these, you know, the, the desks are just like, you know, it's like running a spaceship, you know? No, and, absolutely. Uh, right. So I, I can see why a lot of designers and you know i in our little intro when you and i were talking we talked about peter morris he's one of the ones that always comes to mind as a designer that really just doesn't touch the desk and i can completely understand why when you look at how complicated these desks are that it mm-hmm. it should be separated down to an operator and a, and a ld who's you know Correct. calling spots and and standing behind the director maybe um, oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, I kind of always think of it pilot navigator, you know? Yeah, it, absolutely. And, uh, Very good analogy. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, absolutely. These days, without a doubt, I could never go near it. I would, if I were to work, you know, in lighting now, I would have to have a programmer slash lighting, you know, whatever it is, this director, programmer, etc., etc. I'd have to, I mean, like I say, I, my, sh- you know, r- the Rusty Lowry's and Dale Pulaski's and all those people that helped me. Back when I was using them, were invaluable to me. And a second designer, without a doubt, I couldn't. Shows would have never been what they were yeah. without their input. No, yeah, no doubt about it. What so, is
0: what is the last desk you remember having to operate yourself? Uh, a Whole hog. Oh, okay.
2: A whole hog. Yeah, hog, two, hog two, probably. Yeah. And I, I've operated uh, MAs, but yeah. very cr- very crudely. I, yeah. I can program yep. them very crudely, but right.
0: Point those me to which last, buttons I need to hit, and I'll hit those. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, I know
2: what they are, and I can do basic groupings and basic programming. You yeah. know, I did basic instrument adding and, and all that, and Q yeah. I I could never really build the show from scratch. I would yeah. even in those, I would have somebody build it, but I could edit cues and yeah. add cues yeah.
1: And, yeah. and
2: do things like that. But very, you know, crudely. Yeah. And, uh, so I did operate an MA two and a MA one and a Hog two, but you yeah. know, not. Not with any real proficiency, let's say. Yeah, you know, as far as on the on the actual execution side, pushing the faders, I'm fine. But in the actual, let's call it programming side,
0: right, right. No, I get it. Do you still do you still uh, do you still love it? Yeah, Yeah. no doubt. You still love the business. You still look forward to going out on a on a tour or for a series of shows or whatever.
2: Absolutely. It's still very exciting. Every time the house lights go out, it's still very rewarding to, to feel like you're bringing this joy to the fans. It's still very, you know, it's very interesting, the travel it's, it's still a great job, you know, it's a, you know, it's
0: a, well, I think also, I mean, at least I get the impression that classic artists, um, are different like in other words if you were with you know justin bieber or somebody who's younger they mm-hmm. might want to do six shows a week and mm-hmm. um you know you're just constantly running around like a lunatic whereas <laughs> when you're with alice cooper it's probably a little less hectic fyi pace.
2: alice will do six shows a week really always does always does five
1: wow
0: he loves that so just huh?
2: just a just a. Just to give you that perspective, the, that guy is. So insane, I was wrong, actually. No, you weren't <laughs> wrong. In general, in general, that is absolutely the case. Yeah. But uh, you know, like Rush for us is poor Ged. You know, it's hard for Ged to
1: keep. They yeah. would. It's
2: one on one off for so the the actual classic artist scene. It's pretty much one on one off. Yeah. You know, but uh, Alice is an exception. But I worry about him. I mean, now that I'm like personal with him, yeah. I worry about that. But no, Alice can definitely do five a week
1: yeah
2: you know, I've seen Alice do you know eight shows in 12 days you know what I mean that kind of thing
0: you know it's Plus he's like, a he's a callaway golf endorsey so then he goes out during the day and does all this business golf stuff too right
2: He just plays he does a meet, he meets the pros he plays in the morning Alice is, is very into his routine yeah so every day he plays golf he comes back he has dinner he takes a nap. And then he goes to work and yeah. then on days off him and his wife go to the movies or have dinner and on church. So on Sunday, you know, he's a man that's loves his routine. He's an amazing guy. Wonderful. Yeah. I saw Alice as a punter in 1972 on killer tour. Yeah. You know, I was like, I snuck out of the house, didn't tell my mother kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, I never would have thought back then, you know,
0: but he is I he was, is a joy
2: was, to be around.
0: I was talking with him once recently, and uh, I told him, you were my first concert. And he says, when was that? And I had to think for a minute. I'm like, okay, well, I'm fi- <laughs> yeah. I am I think I was 51 or 52 at the time. And I said, so I'm 52. And uh, so I think it was in like 75. And he goes, oh, so that was probably Nightmare. And I said, no, it was, it was Alice Cooper's show. And uh, I remember it. And and uh, he goes, oh, you probably remember it better than I do. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, you were a little wasted. I remember he cro- he climbed up. Somehow he managed to get him, his drunk ass up the speaker stack on one side of the stage, but then he couldn't mm-hmm. get down. So they had to send a bunch of crew guys up there to help Alex yeah. get down off the speaker stack because he was just out of his mind. Yeah. But no, uh, he
2: did certainly famously struggle with those demons. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. God, a long gone.
0: Well, yeah, he he replaced yeah. one addiction with another one with golf, and it's a much that's healthier right. addiction, that's for sure. Much healthier addiction. I read his book uh, called Golf Monster. I don't know if you ever read it, but I haven't. I was a no. big golf guy, and and mm-hmm. it, it's a cool book because it kind of goes from, uh, you know, sort of rock star stories to. To golf and how you can improve your golf game or whatever uh mm-hmm. but he told one funny story of playing at Durrell in miami a very fancy golf course and and the pro right. there paired him up with these these uh two business guys and they uh-huh. see this long haired guy because this is you know a long time ago this is probably right. 40 years ago or whatever so mm-hmm. they see this long haired guy and like red and whatever checkered pants and this goofy outfit coming flying up to the first tee box and and they're like oh Mm -hmm. god what the hell is this and so you know he's doing his practice swings and stuff and they're just giving him full-on attitude and they're just being real snobby with him and stuff and so Raquel Welch comes flying up on a golf cart and she's like I forget what she called him it wasn't Alice she had a pet name for him
2: yeah, because Shep managed Raquel. So they yeah, were
0: uh, They were dating. They, they knew each other. I don't know if they were dating, but uh that's uh, oh, possible. Well something was going on between them. But anyway she she's coming while. up and she's going, Alice, Alice, you know, blah, 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 Alice. And and he's like, Shut up, Rocky. And he's like <laughs> and, and she's like, But Alice, 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 and he and he goes, Rocky, fuck off. <laughs> and she goes, Okay. And she turns around and drives away. And these guys from that moment on, they were just like, they couldn't believe that Alice Cooper just told Raquel to get lost, right? Right. And uh, so then they thought he was a god after that because they just saw him tell off Raquel Welch. So there you go. Funny story. (laughs) But yeah, he seems like a great guy to work with. And uh, I mean, good good for you that, uh, you know, that at this stage of your career, that you've got such a great, you know, sort of family kind of deal like that you know yeah no yeah.
2: he's great everybody around him is great Shep is great and uh Shep was one of those guys I always wanted to meet like much like
1: Bill and yeah. uh
0: is Shep, Shep still involved oh yeah really I didn't know oh, that absolutely oh yeah Shep is still he is the guy yeah interesting Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah I have a a few sort of final questions that I like to ask everyone. And so first, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever given or received that you can recall?
2: Well, I don't know. Best piece of advice. I mean, uh, I guess, uh, I guess as far as advice uh, received, I'm not really sure. Given, I guess would be more like I, When I have people come, you know, I have people come to me sometimes and ask me, you know, whatever, how did you, you know, do this or whatever, and what can I do to get a job and all that. And uh, you know, at first I just didn't even think that you'd someone be asking me. But the answer for me now is, is that you know, (laughs) uh, there was no planning to whatever what I did. All I did was try and eat. You know, you go from one job to the other. There was never any you know, critical planning or strategizing of my career in any fashion. So I would tell people that don't do that, do good work. And the other part of it will take care of itself. And I always tell people to, you know, if you want to get hired, be the person that you would hire. I said, what well, just think about it. I said, anybody who wants to hire somebody, wants somebody who they know they can depend on, who they can trust, who won't, you know, stab them in the back, who will know when to ask questions, know when to take initiative, always do more than is asked of them, always look to be helpful, and, you know, always be there, that it's not, you know, and and so if you're that person, you will make an impression on somebody who works with you, and they'll think about you when they get hired. I said, like I said, I said, think about who you would want to hire. If you were going to hire somebody, who would you want? Want somebody?
0: I'm a big fan of uh, uh, the Arthur movies with Dudley Moore. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I think it was like Arthur 2 or something. And he's got to go get a job because the family took the money away from him because he's a drunk. And mm-hmm. so he shows up to a job interview and he's drunk. And, uh, and the guy goes, well, Arthur, uh, you know, I'm looking for someone who's real reliable and hardworking and is going to make a good impression on our customers. And, and he goes, well, hire me, and I'll help you find somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a great area, line. But man. no, that's that's really good advice. I'm, be the person you know that that uh, you would that hire. You would hire. Yeah, that's really fantastic advice. So yeah. you know, we just talked about some of the moments and some of the the artists that you've worked with and stuff. But I feel like in our industry, maybe more than any other industry, we get these pinch me moments where you're just sitting there and sometimes you're behind the desk, sometimes you're in a hotel room just sitting chatting with somebody, sometimes you're across from them at a breakfast table, whatever it is. But Mm -hmm. what's your biggest career pinch-me moment?
2: Honestly, I've only had one, to tell you the truth, to be perfectly honest. I honestly usually never think about that, Yeah, honestly. But I had one moment, and honestly, I remember it, because it was just one time in my life I was in... Some outdoor stadium in Spain, and I think I was doing a Bon Jovi show there. But at that particular day, I was Van Halen's lighting designer, Bon Jovi's lighting designer, and ACDC's video director. Jesus. And I thought to myself, I just, whatever, it just came to me like while I was doing something, I say, that just dawned on me at one time and i thought wow you know what i'm pretty fucking lucky right now oh no shit then, this then i said this couldn't last and of course it never did <laughs>
0: yeah and it didn't yeah and careful didn't. careful what so, you wish for right
2: that was my probably in my whole life my only pinch me moment and i have to admit to having it and uh oh that's a that that that's it. a
0: really cool one that's incredible i mean you you had every right to be pretty proud and and uh, happy at that moment cuz three pretty incredible proud, artists
2: you're never way too proud. humble,
0: David, never, you know, well,
2: that. never proud, but happy. You're never so grateful. humble. Ah,
0: you are man, so humble. I mean, you've done good. some really incredible things. You've had a career that, you know, I think young people getting into this business could only dream of at this point. And I'm a worker uh, bee,
2: man. That's uh, all I've ever been as a worker bee, man. It's, it's, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of opportunity. I'm grateful, you know, like, and, and, you know, for me, the, the coolest things was like I made that catwalk truss, right. you know, for Sammy. And that was like the first time catwalk trusses were ever
1: used. right? And right. I
2: remember, you know, that made me really happy to be able to do something like that. I, you know, it was the first one to put a damn uh, color changer on a Molfé, you yeah. know. And and those kind of things were great for me. And the, the show tower thing, you know, yeah. which, you know, I told you about those vermet and that yeah. with Sammy Jesus. Hagar and we had an overweighted truss, and we sent it up on like, what was it? It was, there was a, it was a different kind of, it wasn't a, it wasn't a vermet. It was the next level up, but it was the same, same exact construction. It was like a six inch square tube instead of a four inch. Right. And, uh, and it went up and it wiggled so badly. And uh, I was with a rigger and, and I just freaked out and me and the rigger freaked out and we talked and I called, Eric Pierce, who I love to death. And I told him, I told him, take two of these things, cut the tower off, take a truss, weld the spigots on it, put a thing on the top and attach the motor on the bottom and send it out to us. And I'll be damned if it didn't work like a charm. And then Eric took that and from there made the, you know, reduced the size of the truss and made it, made his show towers. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's really cool. That's really cool. So, so I mean, those things are the fun parts for me
0: yeah is is there a piece of gear that you have to have on a show that like every show you got to start like it's your your foundation no nothing not really not
2: really I mean uh I I think there's way Well, certainly in these days there's way too much out there to be able to say that but I was always a fan of interesting fixtures you know back in the day things like beam projectors and yeah. Scoop lights, and I was always a fan of multiple. You know that every different fixture gave you a different texture of yeah. light.
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
2: um, I mean, park hands without a doubt. Of course, were a workhorse. You had to have them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, but it was always fun for me. And in these this day and age, honestly, I would have to go out and do a. You know, if somebody was was would ever thought about giving me a lighting job again, I think the first thing I would do is start going out and doing a whole bunch of research about what was truly out there and available like i say i i still write down ideas for systems and designs that nobody ever wants to hear but if i think if i ever got the chance that's what i would have to do is i'd have to sit down and go out and see what was available to apply to these concepts
0: yeah oh i mean and there's so much now like we are so spoiled from a technology standpoint today. that's right it's unreal the the options and you know, virtually every manufacturer has a full line now too. So, yeah. you know, they'll mm-hmm. have a beam fixture and they'll have a framing wash shutters fixture. and a wash mm-hmm. and a bigger wash and a whatever. So, That's right. yeah. Is, is, I like, you know, go on. on. Sorry.
2: Well, I was just going to say, the only thing that I'm getting bored with or I've gotten bored with, honestly, is that no matter what, fuck, mostly lighting systems are still a bunch of circles, little circles that freaking light comes out of. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to me, you know, I thought in the old days, our industry changed kind of, there was some drastic changes that used to happen every so often. Like I say, when I started, it was nothing but, you know, inch and a half pipe and base with fixtures kind of, then the genie tower came up, then yeah. the truss came out, then rigging started, then moving lights at the end, of the color changers, then on to moving lights. But to me, after that, it's... I won't say somewhat stalled, but I mean, the adaptations are more, uh, uh, refining. It's like 1940, 1941, right. When they go to pull the big wooden radio in there, the Japs go, we have to make this better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the, the changes have gotten a little more incremental, smaller, uh, incremental and smaller. Yeah. Right.
2: And I would just want waiting for that next big Change. I mean, I always wanted to do assist lighting system. Well, see now that drones are finally coming out. I used yeah. to talk with Larry Sizemore years and years ago when he was with very lights about doing what I used to call a swarm of bees yeah. lighting rig. You know wow. what I mean? You had four
0: on the drone. Used to look
2: at the, <laughs> the, look at the uh, Harrier jets. I said, you know, oh, if we could only take that technology they use for the Harrier jets, and uh,
0: wow, and, you that's know, some real a forward-looking system, vision because that's it, where we are. <laughs>
2: Well, crazy. yeah, except still they can't carry the weight
0: yet. Right? Do you know and, Mills? Uh, no. Mills from Flying Pig, Whole Hog. No, he, he was the one of the founders of that company. He has mm-hmm. a he has a new company called Verge Arrow, which does drone shows. And uh-huh. but you know again they're they're they've got like a little I don't know I think it's a 50, right. 50 it's watt decor- LED or something it's decorative, decorative. yeah so they it's send two hundred drones up and they'll make a picture of a guitar and then they'll make a picture mm-hmm. of a flying bird or whatever that's right it's, it's decorative yeah it's it's more of a display nice. than uh than a light show uh, um, my
2: swarm of bees has never happened this was. The closest I ever tried to do that was that damn Monsters of Rock show, which was such a failure for me technologically. Well, corporate failure. But uh,
0: why? Why is that? What What happened?
2: Well, what happened? Unfortunately, the companies that were involved just were unable to deliver the to the design spec, and the whole thing turned into a real mess. Yeah, it was uh, one of my just about. Well, if I came as close to a nervous breakdown in my life as I ever had during that thing it was uh it was a true 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 disappointment for me wow one of the worst times of my whole life honestly wow
0: wow that's crazy
2: it was well it was gut-wrenching i had a lot of you know i mean uh, in every show i do i have a lot personally invested in these things and to watch something you know especially when there was so much advanced planning that went into it and uh you know uh people overstretched
0: you know so they, they, you were were you the overall designer on it or what was your yeah, role yeah yeah and sure. so you you came up with a design and you handed it to vendors and it just didn't end up being what it was supposed to be
2: but yeah not by a long shot no right. i mean uh there was meant to be a, a computer rigging system that was meant to be developed for the thing that failed yeah. there was uh, a round of moving lights that was supposed to be designed that failed oh, and boy. also it was my beginning you know it was my creation of what turned ended up being uh, uh, sky trackers what ended up being she's poor Jack's company uh, Synchro lights yeah <clears throat> that what ended up turning up to be Synchro lights failed in fact the, those failures were Jack saw them and ended up buying the failed company out. And then using that to uh, create synchrolight. Oh wow! Out of that, out of the dust of that, and then I had a, the staging company uh, failed to a lesser degree. In other words, they were they were. Let's put it this way: they were able to. Del- we had designed a product that was meant to be. This was meant to be stadiums in the, in the round, right? Okay. So we had designed a roof that was what was it, 160 by 70 foot deep that was held up by two pillars that were about 18 or 20 foot square. Okay. Left and right with a 115 foot stage opening. Okay. Right. And, uh, and what ended up happening is, is that uh, although the company delivered the roof that could do that thing, they had told me that the stage would go up, and whatever I think it was, up in five days, or up in seven days. Let's just use for a number up in seven days and out in three. Well, it took them two and a half weeks to build it the first time, holy shit! And it took them a week and a half to take it out. Wow! And what ended up happening? And then not only that, we had to we built two of them, and we were leapfrogging them and had back-to-back shows based on them. Wow. And so what ended up happening is we couldn't do the shows with those with that system because there weren't enough there wasn't enough of them to be able to you know physically make all the shows in the time frame
0: because of the the loading the time and it took and to build time. them. Yeah. Wow. And so
2: then we had to add a conventional we had to add a conventional Outdoor stage to it, but the biggest conventional outdoor stage opening was 80 feet, and so I had
1: total redesign. Well, I mean,
2: well, yeah, total redesign, and I mean, what had happened? The, the way the system was, the the, the the basic design of the system was a: if you take a stop sign and then drew lines through all the corners, you know, broke it up into let's my use one of my least favorite words, pods. Yeah you know, based on that. And then in between those, and there were gaps in those pods. So left to right, there were 120 foot trusses that around the perimeter, there were also pods that were hung, you know, it was a downstage, a center and upstage pod that were hung on these tracks that were meant to run left and right. Okay. Okay. So those were supposed to have the ability to track on stage and lower down to be animated. Right. But of course, you know, the computer rigging system failed
1: Oh god. and
2: so they ended up being fixed and couldn't move, but the system was still so wide, couldn't fit into the 80 foot, you know, the damn stop sign was 80 feet. So having to add, you know, it was, it was a real cluster. And then all of the moving lights, all of the, what were then what became synchro lights was supposed to be in the center of each one of those pods. Nothing. Couldn't fail. Couldn't deliver them. Jesus and then there were like sixty or seventy of the regular size moving lights that the same company failed to deliver.
0: And uh, wild. I, I've never been involved in a, a show like that, you know. Yeah, where, well, you don't want to be failed on every front.
2: You don't want to be. It was about a nerve, you know, and the thing of it was is I would go into the uh, I would go into the pre-production things, you know, do spot checks. And I would say, this isn't looking right. This, this is, I'm not feeling good about this. And I would be told that, hey, you're just being paranoid. You know how you are, you know, that kind of a thing. You know, once we make the first one, the other ones would just come off the line like flies, you know. And uh, it was a very hard lesson in learning to trust my own gut instincts. And, uh, and then I had another one of these kind of vendors look at me and say, you know, if you're going to do these big shows, you have to deal with the with the uh, you know whatever you want to call it the, the the problems you have in the beginning. And I I looked at them and grabbed them by the lapels and I said, I know the difference between that and what's going on here.
0: Yeah, yeah, these aren't like growing you know? pains. This is just yeah. you know poorly executed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just if they had just come clean,
2: but of course they had so much money invested in R and D and fabrication that nobody wanted to say that it wasn't. Until uh, it was just there, Terrible. And then
0: terrible. It was so that um, was when that was in the eighties, right? Eighty-eight. Yeah, Monsters of Rock. I remember.
2: And so that system. I mean, like I say, the 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 stage was. It did what it was supposed to do. It just couldn't do it in the time frame. But the lighting elements just never I had that up. Send them home. I had yeah. to send them all home. And I stuck an ACL mole in the middle of each pod, and uh, but nothing. You know, nothing moved so it was a park and a mole face show. It was, it broke, it was. Wow. Just to God. It was, uh, yeah, it was Sounds horrible. devastating for me. Devastating. Yeah. It yeah. was.
0: Well, needless to know, say, like, you probably didn't use some of those vendors again for a while. No. I,
2: well, <laughs> yeah, for a while. I mean, it was, yeah, for a while. It was, it was tough. Now, I don't, I'm not saying to you at all that they intended to be, of course,
0: you know, yeah. I,
2: I love them to death. They, it was all, again road to hell is paved with good intention yeah you know yes
0: well but uh, i think at the end of the day like everybody makes a mistake everybody has a problem everybody screws something up and it's Mm -hmm. all in how it gets fixed and that's one of the things that normally our industry is incredible at you know okay yeah we got a problem let's fix it we're great solution finders problem solvers in our industry right better than you know most industries i think absolutely um and so yeah it just sounds like that didn't happen in that particular case so that's too that bad that was uh yeah. that was devastating
2: but David, you know we all, we all have rough days
0: who who is or was the greatest influence in your career
2: oh well i mean certainly in the beginning i'd have to say richard and sam Richard ocean sam Schneiderman. you know they taught me in the beginning everything i you know everything i learned everything i knew they were you know
0: uh, yeah, it was it, they, you know, they got it all started.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Very creative, very, you know, design oriented. I mean, Richard was the one that created that Aerosmith logo, the smoky, the one, you know, that one really? they use for everything. Yeah, he I we did it for a that. backdrop. I, I remember sitting in the in his at his drafting table with him while he was doing it and he was asking, you know, well, what do you think about this or that? But yeah, he made it for a backdrop and then they loved it and then they adapted it.
0: I did not know that. That's a, mm-hmm. a great little piece of trivia right there. Yeah, a lighting yeah, guy but, uh, created uh, created the airline that logo. logo. That's wild. That's yeah, that smoky one. Yeah. So, David, do you do you? Uh, we're in a very charitable business, and um, especially when it comes to one giving their time to younger people who, you know, are either just entering the business or maybe they're young crew members or, sure. uh, you know, a young up and coming lighting designer. Do you, do you find ways to give back?
2: Video director? Well, I, any way that I can, I mean, I, I'm open to do, you know, for anybody to call. I mean, uh, I used to have a thing with Van Halen where they used to do that song, the old Red Zeppelin song, uh, 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 rock and roll.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's funny, uh, somebody just sent me that video yesterday of Sammy jumping around doing rock and roll with, with Van Allen.
2: Well, on that song, whenever I'd have like an LD friend or an LD guy come out and visit me, I would call that, that was my guest LD song, because everybody knows it. Oh, so that's I just funny. So that song, I did a rock block, what I call, you know, so it was just basic, you know, red, blue, et etc. et cetera. I'd say, hey, I'd let him run it. I'd call the spots, but I'd, I'd say, hey, you want to run the song? What
0: a great idea. That's yeah, really my cool. guest
2: LD song. And, and uh, and you know, I mean, I, I'd help anybody who wants to come up to me. I Actually, recently, Trudy Green, who's a manager, does a class at USC for, like, tour managing and stuff. So she sends her students to me vicariously to, you know, give them information, and they do projects, and they show them to me, and I help them out with suggestions and things like that. Really so cool. That's
0: really cool. Is kinda,
2: it is kind of fun. I mean, I I help anybody who wants to talk to me. I never yeah. ever. You
0: well, know, David, I mean, you're, you're 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 so humble, but the thing is, for kids like that who are students, you know, some of them coming into this business to be able to talk with a guy like you, you know, who really has done it all with with you know some of the biggest artists of of our era. Uh, you know, you've been with the Stones, you've you've been with Van Halen, you've been with some massive artists. Uh, You know, again, you downplay it. You're, you're so humble. (laughs) It's really incredible. Most people who come on my podcast love to come on and brag and you're coming on and giving everybody else all the credit. (laughs) Dude, I mean,
2: it's a job, man. It's a job. It's like, it's work. It's you're, you're, you're in a service industry. You're there to help these guys. You know, you're able to, you're there to create a background. One again, you know, I was talking about one of the other things. One of the things that were the kind of bugging me, like I wish that, like I say, I, I'm sick of all these little tiny circles that change color and wiggle around. It should yeah. be, we should do something that's more. I see these light bars, and I'm thinking maybe we should do a system. There's nothing but the bars, light bars, and things yeah. like that. But, uh, I mean, it's it's got to be, it's got to be. You know, you got to be creative and inventive and you know, change things
0: up. Yeah, constantly evolving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Did we miss anything, David? Well, uh, we didn't talk much about video. Oh, we haven't. Other stuff. You're right. Yeah. But... Uh, no, I mean, well... I don't know people get sick of hearing me talk. No, but, uh, no, no. I mean, the, the thing about video, so, you know, you... And I meant to cover this earlier, and I completely forgot. We got off into Van Halen or something, but... You were one of the earliest pioneers, I think, that that <laughs> kind of jumped from lighting into video. And I know you're going to say it was out of necessity. It was just a job. I needed a gig, whatever. But I think you obviously saw that as a growing market as well, too, right?
2: I did see it as something that was kind of cool and interesting. And actually, I went to college. For the two years I went to college, I went for mass communication. So oh. I did actually have a, a little bit of a somewhat of a TV not even a background, but the two years I went to school, uh, I went to, uh, I did take mass comm. That was my major because yeah. they did not have any, any concert classes. Right. So that was the closest thing I could get was mass comm and I, I was going to do lighting and all that. But then I, I left school because I was so afraid I'd never pay back my student loan. So right. I went, I was doing tours during my college days. So I would go and leave for a month and a half and take my homework with me and do the homework in between shows and then come back and turn it in, right? Yeah. But but uh, uh, my video thing, again, Danny O'Brien, just like Howard was with Rush, without Danny O'Brien. Danny O'Brien, we grew up in Massachusetts. Danny worked in Boston at the Orpheum Theater running the stagehands, and I used to run this place called Cape Cod Coliseum, and I used, used to hire Danny and his hands in the summertime, and then he'd hire me to be a stagehand in the wintertime interesting and I've known Danny since we were kids you know teens and uh and Danny called me up and Danny had just started you know Bcc video at that time and uh and I was like his third or fourth employee he called me up and he says you call spots great and he says you could do this video directing thing and I said okay you know let I me mean, let me try it and it know? was
0: all imag back then right it was all iMac. There was yeah. only screens.
2: It was screens back then. And then finally, Danny, you know, a, a couple of years later, bought that first Sony. It was glass. The screen was glass. Right. You know, it was glass front, uh, uh, glass front, whatever it was, 20 millimeter or something like that. But it was a it was a glass screen. Danny, God, God bless him. And uh, just so you know, same old thing these days you know, it's, I've always been a worker. I've never really put my, let's put it, call it my ass on the line financially and all that. But I watched Danny finance his house, do everything, give up everything he had to buy that first screen and such respect, such, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's, that's what it's all about. You know, people say, well, how do you do this? You risk it all.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: And uh, it's, it worked out for him and all that, but yeah, I mean, Danny, he called me up, and then we went and did this show with this band called Delight in a club with this little switcher. Where he showed me how to push those buttons and work the T-handle and all that stuff. Yeah, and my next show was with AC/DC in a, in a, in a freaking arena, and uh, and and again, I have to thank Jake Berry for having the faith in me. Danny and Jake were close and still are, and Jake felt that I could do it. I had known Jake from AC/DC, Ronnie Montrose, who I did. Uh, opened for ACDC, and I knew Terry Lee and all that. So I had known Jake from those kind of things. And yeah. uh, and Jake had the faith to take a chance with me. So between the two of them, that's what gave birth to it. And then same thing, Danny came running back at the end of the first show and said, oh, thank God, it looked like you could do it.
0: <laughs> I was worried. That's amazing. <laughs> so, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, and, I carried and- on to do it. And so, you know, that has evolved immensely, obviously, yeah. from the early days of IMAG with a couple of projectors, you know, behind oh, yeah. the stage mm-hmm. to, you know, now the the really complex LED screens and,
2: absolutely, uh,
0: you know, so have you managed to really stay up on all that technology? And as best
2: I can, I mean, we did some really complicated shows with Rush and solved a lot of, yeah. you know, had to solve a lot of real... Uh, problems and again it got to the point with rush that i had to have from the company a switcher programmer come out and program with me and teach me how to program these uh you know video uh these really complicated switchers because it just got you know out of my realm because we see we ran into problems with rush where with latency latency is like the lips matching the delay because we would, you know, with Rush, as we would add complicate things, we kept adding outboard devices. Yeah. To do those jobs, whether it be keying or special effects or DVE work or all those kind of things. We would bring in and it got to the point where we were had latency problems. We couldn't do it. And you know, we had one tour where we struggled with it the whole time. And we had control issues where the, we had to, I had to have, in other words, with Rush, there was no time code. The band never played the time code. They were old school. They played really? live. Oh, absolutely. I they played live. That. Every cue, I triggered manually. Every single playback, all that stuff. Howard triggered some from the uh, from his console at some tours, and then I triggered a lot of them as well. And it was all done manually. Interesting. All done, you know, not done with... Uh, not done with any kind of uh, time code or anything like that because they never played with that they wouldn't they refused to
0: did you get do in, that. involved it, it in suggested. content with content as well with yeah. them no no that was Getty's brother yeah his
2: brother did all that uh, along with Howard and uh, yeah I mean some of those nope.
0: videos at the front end of the show were the intro oh, videos and stuff were hilarious
2: yeah they were hilarious. Terrific. No, that was uh, that was Alan and uh, and Howard but So what we ended up having to do, and our engineer, Bob Larkin, was the one that finally really said this, you know, what we ended up doing then is bringing everything into the console. In other words, we bought a very, we didn't buy, we we had the company provide an extremely sophisticated console that we could do all of those tasks in the console so you didn't have the frame loss from adding all those outboard devices. Right. Right, but the problem was, of course, it was in really intense programming at that point. So we had to bring in uh, a console, you know, a switcher programmer, right, to allow that to be done. And uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was terrific. It worked out really well. It solved our problems, and uh,
0: you know. So what? What are some of the challenges though when it comes to you know? I mean, it's. I think it's interesting that you come from a lighting design background and then you go into video design video direction Mm -hmm. and so what's what like i always feel like i'm i'm battling a fight or i'm i'm viewing a fight a battle between lighting Mm -hmm. and video and Mm -hmm. who's going to win this week or or during this show or whatever no sometimes you wouldn't do it with me no
2: no i mean i'm a lighting guy so i i'm sympathetic to it i mean i would let everybody let the guy do his show as it was. Right. And then you look at the show and if there's problem areas, you record the show and you bring the guy back and you bring the guy back and you talk about it and say, yeah. okay, do you know, this looks like this on camera? You know, yeah. Do you want to do something about it? Do you want to fix it? Do you want to, you know, what do you think we can do? And then I talk to the engineer and I say, what can we do to make it easier? Or I talk to the lighting guy and say, you know, do you want to fix it? Or we put a piece of playback in there. (laughs) You know
0: what
2: I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mask it out.
0: There's just shows, though, that I see where, you know, especially in the earlier days of LED, when they really started getting bright, too. Mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, oh, yeah. it, it just seemed like a, a, a constant battle where lights had to keep getting brighter to to keep up with these bright LED screens. And at some point, the audience is just going, ah, uh, please, stop, no, it's getting so bright, you're blinding me. I you know.
2: completely, I completely agree. And again, with Howard and I, or with any guy, I'd put the, we'd set the screen at a brightness and we'd work it out, basically. Yeah. If he'd asked me to turn it down to a point, I'd look at it, you know, for, again, for me, I have no ego set in this thing. Yeah. You know, I don't give a shit if the screen is on one. Yeah. As long as everybody's happy and that's the way they want to look at it. Yeah. That's fine. You know, yeah. you want you to want Coke with those fries? You know, I mean.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know,
2: I mean, that's the thing with me is I'm there to make the whole show look as good as it can. Yeah. So if that means taking the screen down to two, take the screen down to two and we try it out. Uh, we look at it. Yeah. You know, it's it shouldn't be about. You know my screen, my lights, my this. The idea is to provide the best background environment for the artist yeah. to accentuate their music the best way that you can think of.
0: Well, and another comment I hear quite often is um, well, and I'll give you an example. So I I believe it was Mark Brickman who said mm-hmm. on on this podcast. He said uh, that he saw the latest Stones tour and the video made um, made Mick Jagger look small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look up there, you see this tiny little guy, and the video was just overwhelming.
2: Right. And
0: uh, that may be, you know, an issue. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> right? No,
2: it's it's definitely an issue. I mean, look, I mean, but anyways, in a stadium, if you're in a stadium... If you're in the back, you're looking at the dancing raisin anyways.
0: Dancing okay? raisin. That's amazing.
2: You know what I'm saying? No matter what. <laughs> no, it's totally true. It, you know, I mean, no matter, you know. Unless as a fan,
0: did. I hate stadium shows. I just, right. I mean, I just. I don't like them either. I don't like, I don't them. like them
2: either. Yeah. Everybody goes and sells them as the experience. And look, if the fans are having that experience, I'm I'm all happy for them.
0: Yeah,
1: great. But
2: for me, you know, once you get past front of house.
1: Yeah.
0: No, thanks. Yeah. I agree no with sense. you. I mean, I mean, there are uh, some shows where, like I saw Roger Waters, that that big wall extravaganza absolutely. thing. I saw it twice. Beautiful. I saw it from mm-hmm. uh, three rows back because my, my mm-hmm. wife worked for their record company. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I saw it from uh, front of house. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked it better from front of house because it's such a big visual thing. Yeah. And you needed to be back a bit. If you were too close, you didn't absolutely. get to see the whole wall coming down and the whole thing happening you know absolutely so. but if
2: you'd have been in the back row in the back of the stadium yeah you'd have seen the big part but you certainly yeah, would have seen see roger set, except up on the screen the band, right and that's what the video screens the side screens and the imag is for is yeah. for the people who can't see you know those kind of details to get those kind of details right. yeah you know uh, to the best of their ability you're adding that's the, value to
0: the, the lawn seats
2: Right. Well, yeah. you're adding. No, you, it's not even. It's a better experience for the right. poor people that have fucking spent their hard money of, to of come course. see you. Hundred you know, percent. That's 100%. what it's about: is trying to get those people the 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 most visceral experience yeah. that you can. Well, from and like you actually said, a stadium, stadium a show.
0: show. I mean, you go see Stones at a stadium. If you're on the other end of the stadium you're still probably paying, you know, 500 bucks for a ticket or something.
2: Well, no, but, you know, it's, it's more, it's, it's nothing to sneeze at. Let's put it yeah, this way.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: yeah. It isn't and $3 and 25
1: cents. like No, show. no, <laughs> no,
0: not quite. Well, you know what, David, I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, today to do this because, you know, I got I'm, nothing I'm, but
2: time these days. I'm definitely,
0: uh, you know, I, I really, appreciate and have a lot of respect for you and for what you've done and i've always kind of you know i've worked for lighting manufacturers where you know mm-hmm. we were lucky if we ever got stuff on one of your shows and and always looked up to uh to you as a designer and uh loved well the that's stuff really kind so, of you quite a career remarkable career and you should be very proud and your daughter who's uh, who's watching this should be very proud as well and uh,
2: my daughter is i'm so grateful that she took after you know it's found a love and an interest in this i i actually kept her at arm's length of it for way too long and yeah. thinking that it wasn't a right thing for her but when i when i finally thought that you know realized that that's really truly what she wanted she rose to the occasion and she too works for danny oh really How about that
0: that is amazing, Danny.
2: So you know, this is I owe Danny you know so much. And uh,
0: wow, that is so cool.
2: And she has on her own, you know, uh, completely up the ranks. When she wanted to start, I told her, "Okay, here's my friend Lurch. She runs a stagehand. If you're going to start, you start as a stagehand. You learn how long just ago like was I that? did, plugging cables." My daughter, I don't know, all of ten years now. I don't oh know. wow! I don't think of this wow. oh, all these ten years ago or something like that. But uh,
0: in a blink, I, right? That's it. So, yeah. Uh, so now the geez. whole family's out of work. Yeah, that's
2: right. That's
0: right. <laughs> what a great industry this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it'll be back. It'll be back. It in will a big be way. back. Yeah. Yes,
2: it will. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: All right, David. You you stay safe and and thanks, thanks again too, for buddy. doing this. I'll I'll uh, I'll email you a link once it uh, gets uploaded. Yeah.
2: Uh, It's okay. Uh, I never listen to myself talk. Uh, But thank you for wanting to talk to me. Like I say, it's the first time I've ever done this. I hope it was okay.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.